Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay, and with me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, the movie we're covering today, I'm very excited about because it's it's one that I haven't seen in a very long time, but have mm. watched many times. Mm-hmm. And it is the story of Mario Lopez and how every February, because of a chip in his brain, he what? transforms into A.C. Slater. We are covering 28 Day Slater. I am deeply confused. Well, let me unconfuse you real quick. Okay, okay. Well, he's Mario Lopez, but he's A.C. Slater. He's Mario Lopez, but he's A.C. Slater. Oh, my God. Every February. Next to an implant in his brain He thinks he's back at Bayside High For 28 straight days But nobody wow, that was knows a lot of crop tops. Just how to make him sing Cause Brandon Tartikoff Took the secret to his grave Now it's Mario Lopez But he's A.C. Slater Is he Mario Lopez or A.C. Slater He's 28 days later Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, twenty-eight days later, uh, I have to. Th- I think I have Pat to thank for that. I think he's the one who turned me onto that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's an old, old uh, yeah. YouTube video from way, way back. But we are, we're talking about uh, everything I said before that actually still applies because we're talking about 28, 28 days later, a movie that I did watch very often, as I think most people my age and maybe your age too did in college. Yep. And uh, I don't think I've watched it in about fifteen years, so it was good to revisit. Yeah, I, I think I watched it more recently than 15 years, but it's definitely been at least like five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was one where I think there, there was like a trinity of movies that everybody in college had and wanted to watch. And it mm. was this, uh, like The Big Lebowski and Snatch, I think, were the, were the three big ones. Interesting. I feel like this might be part of the overlap, like... Between my age group and yours, mm-hmm. where for me, I think it was something more like this fight club and, and insert, you know, dealer's choice here. Sure. Well, I, 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 I was thinking about fight club and I was like, I feel like fight club was either like maybe more high school. No, I'm thinking yeah, that, it was a little bit earlier, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was one I have not watched Snatch since freshman year of high school, college. I loved that movie when it came out. <laughs> But everybody wanted to watch it so often in college that I have not watched it since. I think what happened for me with that movie, which is not the movie we're talking about tonight, is that by the time I wanted to watch it, no one else did because everybody had watched it over and over again in college. And I'm only friends with people who are older than me. (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. (laughs) Um, Did you see this in the theater? Uh, 28 Days Later, did you see it in the theater? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was maybe like a little too young. Sure. Because I was like 14. Yeah, this was 2002. Yeah. And that was the year I graduated high school. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I graduated 2002. So this would have been right before college. So yeah, you would have been a freshman? Yeah. Ish? Yeah. 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 Maybe a little young. Yeah. There's your questionable parenting. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) She might not have actually given me permission to go see that one. That might have been like a 
me convincing one of my friend's parents that it's it's fine. Yeah, it's a sequel I, to that Sandra I Bullock movie. I texted her on my cellular phone, which no parents back in 2002 really understood. Mm-hmm. Like texting, I mean. As so. long as you had enough minutes that it didn't roll over and cost more money, you were fine. Or, yeah. or was it back, that was 10... Was that when it cost like per text? It was like 10 yeah, cents Yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, like 12 cents a text you, message. You realize how yeah. insane that sounds in the yes. year 2021? Yes. Could you imagine like anybody under the age of like 27 being willing to pay per text message? Yeah. 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 That would that would be get very expensive very quickly. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Repent. <clears throat> the end is extremely fucking nigh. Yes. Uh, we're talking about 28 days later. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and get into it. All right, 28 days later from 2002, number 107 on our list. Oh, that reminds me. Yes. Um, Remember, I believe, last episode where I talked about there was a shakeup on the list? Yes. And the most... it was a weird shakeup because everything just kind of shifted down by a number. Yeah. But American Psycho was kicked off and Black Christmas was yes, kicked off. Yes, and we were both pretty indignant about Black Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, to add another wrinkle to this, Black Christmas still on the list. Oh. But the reason that I couldn't find it is because it is listed as Stranger in the House. Oh. Which I believe is one of the alternate titles of Black Christmas. Weird. Yeah. But it was Black Christmas before. Sure was. All right, fine, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Let's just fuck with us for fun, then. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's back on the list. Maybe someone who listens to the show and works at Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is like, well, I <laughs> hey can't guys, put Black Christmas on, but there's a loophole. Stranger in the House can go on. So Yeah. Uh, so that's good news. Anyway. Hey. 
Amanda, what happens in 28 days slate? Sorry, 28 days later. A deadly virus transforms humans into bloodthirsty, rage-filled zombies that leave a handful of survivors on the run for their lives. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into some of the specifics <laughs> of that, I think, about whether or not it's actually yes. zombies. Yes. Um, listen, guys, we've been doing this for 45 episodes, 44 episodes now. I d- <laughs> There's actually pretty <laughs> solid parenting in this. There's a lot of other stuff. In the- Maybe this yeah. is part of the burnout of this movie is like yeah. at this point. Because one of the more interesting things about this movie is I think unless there's another one that I'm missing, mm-hmm. I don't think there's one that had as big of an impact as this did. But this is, I think, ground zero for the uh, zombie renaissance. Yeah. Which is kind of ironic since they are not zombies. Eh, um, debatable. Yeah, but they just... <laughs> I, I, I do very clearly remember seeing this movie... And as soon as they started running, I was like, well, Ah. that's it. They're going to run from now on. Yeah, yeah. All zombies now are runners. And then Dawn of the Dead came out and the zombies ran. So there you go. I think it was this and Dawn of the Dead back to back is what what did it. Yeah. Um, How do you go backwards from that? You know, like traditional zombies just aren't as scary anymore if you can like, you know, hold up a yardstick and just kind of knock them over. Yeah. It took a while, but they kind of came back around. It's been more... uh, They've they've come back to the more George Romero version. Yeah, The Walking Dead doesn't have running zombies. I don't think, but fair. Um, yeah, basically that's a long way of saying we couldn't think any th- things you might find. <laughs> There's lots of stuff in this movie. Just watch the movie. Yeah, this one was a hard one to come up with, like quippy, like silly listicles about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we're, anyway, we're doing away with the gimmick this time. Well, let's use that as a jumping off point. Um, sure. This, as I said, this seems to be the, the, the ground zero of the zombie movement, but it also seems to be kind of the ground zero of just the general apocalyptic renaissance. Like, I feel like it was sort mm. of, I can't think of like a really high, uh, prominent post-apocalyptic movie that came out before this. And I think part of that renaissance probably has to do with 9-11 and the, the world, oh, the war yeah. and terror and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, but, uh, but this, this seems to be the first in a very long line of those types of, I think it was kind of brewing. Cause like I, I am, uh, constantly ahead of the curve on certain things, yes. but also the last <laughs> person to get into the game a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I was on the zombie train well before this Renaissance started. Like yeah. I, I started, uh, I, I draw comics if you, if you're listening you don't know that and the first thing i ever did was i came up with this comic called dead meat which is a uh it's a zombie thing or whatever and i was started working on that when i was in high school which was oh yeah before this movie before the big boom and everything but of course i didn't get it out until well after the the wave had crested (laughs) but you know it happens there must have been something, yeah, brewing even just subconsciously in the zeitgeist for mm-hmm. a lot of like people making comic books and movies yeah. and TV shows, like probably people who are like five to ten years older than you, like yeah. your age and yeah. then up up through ten years older, and they just because they were older had like a head start. Yeah. <laughs> like, resources that fifteen year old Clay did not have. Yeah. I oh, and I didn't even read the credits. It's uh directed oh, yeah. this whole episode's a mess. Yeah. Uh directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, 
starring Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston, Brendan Gleeson, and some contagiously angry monkeys. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. is because this movie, first off, I think is great. I was really yeah. interested to see how it holds up, and I think it holds up really well. Yeah. Um, but even at the time, when I saw it the first time, the thing that I found so interesting is that it is very, it is presented and executed in a very original way, but the actual content of it is kind of like a greatest hits of the Romero movies. And also, I mm. guess, I didn't know this because Day of the Triffids is not really an American staple. I guess it's more of an English staple, but it has kind of the same plot as a movie called Day of the Triffids, I guess. Okay. And uh, But I was watching this going like, going around in the shopping thing that's dawn of the dead stopping yep. to get gas and you end up i actually when they stop to get gas and he goes and he's walking around in the, the little diner there yep. i i said in my head as i was watching it he's gonna open a door and a kid's gonna jump out which is exactly what happened because that's what happens in dawn of the dead except in this movie they don't have the scene where the helicopter cuts the guy's head off but <laughs> they do that in the next <laughs> um and then like the last third of the movie is kind of day of the dead a lot even to down to having a, a zombie on a chain that they're kind of studying yeah that's a good point i don't think i'd really like seen all the parallels that clearly yeah and i it's not like a ripoff or anything yeah. but there's like a lot of stuff pulling from that yeah and it's it's always been interesting to me how original and fresh this seems while also being very reminiscent of the place that it came from yeah, well, I mean, by the, by the time this, when this movie came out in 2002, I mean, how old were the Romero movies on average at that uh, point, you know? Night of the Living Dead was 68, Dawn of the Dead, I think, was like 73 or 78, maybe, and I think Day of the Dead was like the mid early mid-80s. Yeah, so, so it, I feel like it 20 had, years or so since the last yeah, one. Yeah, it had been a while since yeah. there was like a zombie movie that captured like broad attention yeah so i think there's a way where it's like sure you're you're if you're making a zombie movie you're obviously going to be somewhat inspired by romero it's hard not to be right because either you're either you're you're doing similar things and almost like whether intentionally or not paying homage or you're reacting directly against right him in which case you're still being somehow impacted by those movies yeah um, but yeah, this was the movie that really made zombies scary again. Yes, I think like yeah. like in in the general pop culture like sense of it, like, they had been really off the board for a long time. Yeah, I like feel that like was that they, was one they of the were reasons seen as kind of like hokey and yeah. and, and kind of just like you know again it's just usually like the shuffling like uh, yeah thing. they like, were one of the the they were one of the reasons I think I gravitated to that is because mm. they were off the board and I was like this is itching to have a comeback. Yeah, fertile ground for yeah. new new projects. Yeah. And the 90s was the 90s was such a quote unquote realistic era for horror movies. Yeah, lots of lots of slasher like like scream yeah. like yeah. in the slasher renaissance and then sort of sliding into the early uh torture porn. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. this might predate that a little. I can't remember when audition comes. I think it might be around the same time. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was uh, the '90s were pretty realistic. I mean, obviously there were some monster movies, but not the way there was in the '80s. There yeah, was it was typically out. more like a guy killing people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so to have a movie like this pop up, 
just really kind of uh, changed things quite a bit, I thought, anyway. Mm. Um, the uh, uh, I think the world building in this, first of all, is very good. They, ha- it's, they actually let's talk about homages and stuff. Uh, the Walking Dead, the comics, started in October of 2003. Oh, wow. And opens almost identically to this movie like the it opens yeah. with rick in the hospital i think it's actually even a overhead shot of him in the bed and stuff i think so yeah very very similar so uh, yeah i guess i don't know if 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 it came out in october of 2003 then they probably were a few issues in before it started coming out so it's possible it could be an intentional homage it's possible it could just be you know the yeah. uh, the, the lines crossing of of uh, of uh ideas and stuff yeah but it's it's such a clever way of making your protagonist a good audience surrogate because they're coming into this just as oblivious as you are right like like they you know have been unconscious through through this whole thing so so the exposition that is later delivered to them whether it's through newspaper headlines that they come across or running into survivors who are like what do you mean you don't understand like the infected have been here for the last two months and like giving them a backstory it feels necessary and organic and it's an easy way to kind of build those speeches in so that the audience gets the information without Mm -hmm. it feeling like extremely clunky poorly written shoehorned in right yes it's like that day three months ago we all remember that day yeah. when the dead began to rise because of the chemical spill or like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or my more, or my least favorite thing when characters just uh, uh, refer offhandedly to it happening. <laughs> you were there when it happened. Yeah. I hate it when they do that. That was before it happened. Exactly. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they do a great job. The opening of this this movie is is fantastic with him waking up and and walking through empty London. And it's, it's especially crazy because if you have been to London, like all of the places he walks through are always busy. Right. Like I don't know how. I don't know if they got permits and they had to like shut it down. Like the bridge by the Parliament Building. Like I have no idea how they got that like desolate, empty. Those those big shots like they there are clever cuts here and there where it's clear that they're probably like mm-hmm. maneuvering around some like oh there's traffic over on that street so as we pan this way we're just gonna stop here and cut to this next scene right right um but it still looks so cool and and for anybody who's been somewhere like London it's like the idea of of just walking around and having a city like that be empty is it's it's creepy all on its own yeah well apparently uh part of the way that they did that was um they had the police shut the streets down at 4 a.m and they could shoot for i think an hour and uh um part part of the reason that they decided to shoot it in in this uh low-res digital style yeah. Was because it was so easy to do setups and stuff and they could shoot really fast. Oh, so they could that get a lot so of stuff sense. done. Um as as the the IMDB trivia says, the decision <laughs> to film on D V using Canon XL one cameras was both an aesthetic and a logistic choice. Aesthetically, Danny Boyle felt that the harshness of the D V imagery suited the post apocalyptic urban landscape and the grittiness of the film in general. In the production notes, Boyle says the general idea was to try and shoot as though we were survivors too. Logistically, producer Andrew McDonald claims 
that shooting with standard cameras, especially some exterior scenes, would have been impossible. As McDonald points out in the, in the production notes, the police and local authorities were quite happy to assist us because we could set up scenes so quickly. We could literally be ready to shoot with a six-camera setup within minutes, something that we would not realistically have been able to do if shooting under the restrictions of 35mm, which takes a good deal more time to set up a single shot. So, Interesting. Yeah, and so I think that's probably, maybe we should talk about the, the, the look of the movie a bit. Yeah. Because they shoot on these cameras, which at the time... Even at the time, they were not like movie quality cameras, and it's pretty clear watching it now. Even if you're watching it in HD, it does not look very sharp. Right. It's interesting though because when 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 we turned it on and started watching it, it had been so long since I I'd seen it. I was like, oh, I guess this is just what movies looked like back in 2002. <laughs> Those Which, first gen yeah. HD cameras were terrible. But it, like, and I know objectively that's not true. We've watched plenty of movies from pre 2002 right, right. just to do this podcast and they've looked better um but it's it's funny how how quickly at least for me i just sort of accepted like yeah this is how it looks okay like i'm not gonna question it i did i just sort of like was like oh all right yeah, yeah this is how this movie looks yeah it's a really um i i've always liked the style because i i always yeah. liked the, that kind of grainy blown out look especially for horror movies yeah and um it's uh I feel like it's harder to to do on purpose before uh you you get these digital cameras. Yeah. Because you can um with the these digital cameras are small enough that you can, like you said, move them around really quickly and really kind of get that weird kind of digital breakup. Yeah. And um it's a look that I, I agree. I think very quickly you kinda uh get used to it. But it yeah. it works so well for the setting because it has this really chaotic, impressionistic kind of look to it, which mm. the whole movie, I feel like you never get a clear shot in your, at least in my memory, every time I think back to it, mm. I'm never seeing something that's like really clear. It's always kind of fuzzy. It's always a little bit blown out. Yeah. So it has this sort of really kind of... I, it's not dreamlike because it is more kind of almost uh, um, uh, documentary kind of feel. Yeah, it feels archival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. It's not found footage though. Right, right. They're kind of dispensing with the gimmick. Yeah, but keeping the benefits of having that less crisp, like point of view, and and yeah. I think it works especially. In the scenes of chaos and violence, it adds, like, a level of visual confusion that mimics the, like, insanity of what's happening when, like, the zombies are attacking or they're fight, Like, you know, mm-hmm. two guys are in a fight or something. Like, it gives you a... a it, it, it gives you more of a kind of messy view of it. Mm-hmm. And I also think it works well when they're showing these um, settings with lots of corpses and dead bodies yeah. like in the background yeah. or or just kind of strewn about the the area because it it makes them feel more real. Yeah. Because it's harder to since you're not getting that really really like clean resolution, you can't look and be like, "Oh, well that looks super fake." Right. You know, yeah. so it like it keeps it keeps the the carnage whether it's dead bodies or injured people or whatever. It it keeps it looking more real because you're not able to pick it apart right um but it also cuts down on the sort of like 
needless gore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like when yeah. when when he goes early on when he's been walking through London and and nobody's around and he goes into the church and the church is the pews are full of dead bodies. Which because of the way they shoot it, mm-hmm. I still I've seen this movie fifty times and it's still difficult to pick out exactly what he's looking at. Yes. Yeah, and it's this sort of like jumble and confusion of of just like figures and shapes, mm-hmm. and you don't your your brain has a harder time processing it into human bodies, but it but it is like you still right, right. especially when the zombies kind of pop up, you realize oh this is a pile just just a just a enormous room full of of dead bodies, yeah, and it's kind of a a, a great horror moment where it is like viscerally horrifying to have that realization the first time you see it, but it's not, it doesn't feel like exploitative. It's not Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, look, there's a little girl with her head bashed in like a old man with his arm ripped off and like a scream on his face. Like you're not, some of that stuff can be fun sometimes, but in a movie that's tonally this serious, it could feel really like gratuitous. Mm -hmm. And I think having the, the low res look, kind of removes not totally but it lessens the risk of that yeah i i actually watching it this time that opening shot of him in the the hospital bed my first instinct was oh found footage like i know i know it's not a found Mm. footage movie but that that digital camera like low res digital yeah reads as found footage to me yeah more than it does this because really they didn't really this didn't become that much of like a, a trend Right, found footage did right. This beca- this was like a. I I don't know if it was because it was such a specific style choice that it would be clear you were just ripping this off if you tried to do that. Mm. But this is um, there wasn't a, as far as I can remember there were not a lot of horror movies that were trying to ape this style. Ape, haha. <clears throat> the infected monkeys. Oh right, the infected <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> the framing device that I think so many people forget. It's really, it's weird. It's a weird framing device. It, you know, it is and it isn't. Yeah. Because we're currently still dealing with the global pandemic that there's sure. some suspicion jumped from animals to humans in potentially I, a lab. That part of it isn't weird to me. Yeah. I've always been a little hung up on the idea that they're in, on the idea that they are infected with rage, and that rage is communicable. <laughs> Yeah, I always kind of, like, I think in my head, I always kind of justified it as, like, you know, like, you know, when we when we call it bird flu, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's called bird flu because it was first detected in avian species. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, a flu that turns you into a bird. Right. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I always kind of just... I mean, justi- I, I do now. <laughs> but, yeah, I always kind of just justified it, you know, like, mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. Like if if a human gets mad yeah. cow disease, you don't turn into a mad cow, but yeah. you know you maybe have symptoms. Yeah, like, I I guess I just always wondered why they needed to put such a point on it. I think that's a very Danny Boyle yeah choice, don't you? I feel like he's he's usually pretty at, f- at a couple different points, and I think all of his movies he gets a little too explicit about what the theme is. Yeah, I I kind of put it on Alex Garland a bit too. Uh, yeah. I mean, not that he's. In his other movies, he doesn't like ex machina. He's I was not really say, putting he's the ex machina guy, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but I was thinking like, I mean, he's more seems to be more of a sci fi guy. I can see needing to have okay. Here's a sci fi explanation for this. 
the uh, um, Garland and Boyle felt that the notion of the living dead wanting to eat people's brains was outdated. One of the original mm-hmm. factors behind zombie movies was a fear of nuclear power and its possible effects on people. Garland and Boyle concluded that one of the biggest fears in modern society is fear of disease, especially a viral yeah. apocalypse, such as Ebola or Marburg. Marburg? I'm not familiar with that one. I don't know. Garland and Boyle were specifically inspired by such incidents as anthrax and bioterrorism scares in London and the spread of mad cow disease and foot and mouth disease in the UK. Another aspect of rendering the zombie movies more contemporary was the idea that the virus didn't necessarily affect people physically. It doesn't kill them as in traditional movies, but psychologically. Both Alex Garland and Danny Boyle felt that the idea that the virus renders people zombie-like due to uncontrollable rage was a good metaphor for the contemporary phenomenon of social rage, such as road rage, air rage, hospital hospital rage, etc. I believe it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't suppose. <laughs> they liked the idea that the virus simply amplifies something already in each and every man and woman rather than turning them into something entirely other, as is the traditional root in zombie movies. So yeah, I can buy that. It's yeah. it's just it's such a strange way. I mean, I guess there's no other way to succinctly sum that up other than to say the monkeys are infected with rage. Yeah. But um <laughs> I don't know. It does it's I think the way it's it's done and kind of just thrown out there in the single word like you know it, that leaves maybe a little to be desired, but I also understand the need to just like it's the beginning of the movie. You don't want to sure. get bogged down in all this like expositionary bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, as a as a fourteen year old girl watching this, I remember that opening sequence being terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's like good. it's really well done. It's like again that low res style really works for it because it's dark. There's weird lighting. You're sort of you're not introduced to any of these characters like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's like, there's the eco-terrorists who've come to like liberate the monkeys that mm-hmm. are being tested in, on in this lab, but there's no scene where it's like the, f- I don't even know how many of them there are, if there's four or five or six. I don't remember. There's no scene of them like in the van being like, all right, you guys, right. let's go over the plan one yeah. more time. We're going to go in there and we're going to save these eight, like. You know, it's not like, all right, Brittany, do you have the, right. the whatever, yeah. the lock picking equipment? Like, they don't bother with any of that. They just get right into it, right. which I yeah. appreciate. Yeah, you could probably cut this together with 12 monkeys and make one really long movie. Oh, there you go. Um, speaking of uh, tween girls being terrified. Yes. When I saw this in the theater, I had seen it once before. I actually went to see it the second time with the youth pastor of my church, <laughs> who also, I believe was seeing it for the second time, who really enjoyed this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we we were both, you know, really, really enjoying this movie enough that we went to see it twice. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, and the movie starts, and up at the front, like front, front row, yeah, is maybe five or six. Me and five of my friends. Basically, yes. <laughs> and they were talking. Talking, oh, talking, talking. Laughing, giggling, giggling yeah. at the movie. See, that would not have been me. I would have been like kicking my friends next to me being like, shut up. Well, they're giggling, having a great time thinking this is a laugh riot until the scene when they go to Jim's house. Oh. And that first zombie comes running 
and smashes through the window. Yep. As soon as that happened, every single one of them screamed at the top of their at the top of their lungs <laughs> and remained silent for the rest of the movie. Perfect. Which was fantastic. That, that's how you know it's a good horror movie. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's a scary movie. Like those, yeah. I remember seeing it in the theater. Even on the second time, there's a lot of scenes in this that are are, are really freaky. Yeah, I'm kind of skimming through my notes to see, like, e- yeah, even the, the church scene is really, like, it's it's when when kind of when Jim Killian Murphy's character really comes face to face with one of the infected i guess we should just call them sure. calling them zombies feels given given the kind of premise we're working with feels a little <laughs> inaccurate um and it's a priest right which is you know it's it's a it's a priest usually it's somebody who's very gentle and there to give you guidance mm-hmm. and all of this stuff and and for that to sort of be the first confrontation with these creatures is is really well done yeah 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 and I, I, I really love that, that sequence at um, <clears throat> Jim's house after, yes. after the thing with his parents, which is, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, because you don't, up to that point, you haven't spent a lot of time with, you, you've just met Naomi Harris's character. Selena. Selena. Uh, and the other guy that she's hanging out with. Mark. Of course. <laughs> and even, even for Jim, you don't really, haven't really gotten a sense of what they're about. Yeah, I mean, like, Mark and Selena just seem like, you know, oh, we're survivors. We're right. throwing Molotov cocktails at zombies. And Jim just seems like, I'm sad and confused. Yeah. And that scene works to actually give you a lot of information about those characters. Yeah. Especially, specifically because of the way that Selena... God, she's such a badass. ...does not hesitate to kill Mark when oh, he's bleeding and infected. Like She's that so great. that moment alone tells you everything you need to know about her. Yeah. And even even Jim too. Well, Jim's still a little bit shell-shocked, but like yeah. as far as her character, that's about all you need to know. Everything after that is informed pretty well by by that one scene. Yeah, and that scene is like really brutal. Like mm. it it cuts away pretty quick, but she picks up that machete and you get like a couple shots of her Pretty much chopping his arm off. Yeah, he's screaming like and crazy. He's yeah. screaming like crazy, and then she, it, 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 you know, the point of view changes, so you you don't see him anymore, but you do see her, and you see the force she puts into it. Yeah, and this is somebody, you know, we don't know exactly how long they've been traveling together, but at minimum, it's been at least a couple weeks. They do yeah. say you're the first survivor we've seen in ten days, and it's you know twenty eight days later, mm-hmm. so it's probably been at least two weeks that they've been trusting each other and keeping each other alive and so for her to kind of that quickly just be like you gotta get out of here yeah 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 and i i like i like her as a character and i think yeah, she i like and, her a lot she and jim play off each other really well they have like actual chemistry yeah. which is impressive in a movie that i mean tonally this movie's i don't want to jump too far ahead but like tonally this movie is interesting because it it, it can it can swing from these almost like carefree kind of beautiful moments Mm -hmm. to really really dark moments really quickly right um but overall it's a pretty serious like even even the happy moments are sort of a little melancholic i would say or Mm. or like it's a pretty serious movie yeah and they still manage to like banter in a way that feels 
like more genuine to the situation than I think it maybe would if it was written by someone else. Yeah. Well, two people with so many visible rib bones really seem like they should be on the same page about a lot of stuff. But uh, um, yeah, I, I like them as a pairing because Selena, uh, you learn pretty quickly, is uh, she's kind of cold but practical. Yeah. And Jim is is very is naive and empathetic. Yeah. And as you're going through, by the time you get to the end, those things kind of invert a bit. Yeah, I was going to say their arcs are kind of complementary. Like they 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 each start on opposite ends of a spectrum and they they kind of swap, but by the very very end they've sort of moved to a middle ground that yeah. they share. Yeah. Um yeah. Cuz Jim Jim never really he doesn't he he doesn't really become hopeless the way that she is. He gets yeah. he gets really violent. Gets, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know he he starts to figure out how this world works, but he never gives up hope the way that she kind of has at the beginning. Yeah, her whole her whole line that kind of sums up her ethos is like you stay alive and that's as good as it gets. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but by the end, it's kind of interesting that she. I guess it. I guess it's a. It's a. Uh, a credit to the relationship that they've built between them because, like, the only reason that I think she doesn't kill Jim, yeah, when she thinks he's a zombie, affected. Sorry. Whatever. Uh, I don't want to get any letters from any <laughs> offended zombies out there. Um, is because it's Jim. They prefer living impaired. Living impaired. Yes. Uh, but like that's the only reason. It's not because she has. I guess I guess she has changed in that she has gone from cold yeah. to she actually has feelings for somebody. Right, but it's feelings for him specifically. Right. It's yeah. it's not it's like him and Hannah. Right. The girl. Like yeah. that's pretty much it. Like cuz by that point in the movie poor Frank has uh, already gone to meet his maker. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like, you know, she's found this little chosen family that are she's let them in emotionally in a way she did not let Mark. Right. The guy she uh machetes to death. Yeah. Um, this is a cast of at the time mostly unknowns. A lot of them, a lot yeah. of them have since gone on to to be much more well known. Yes. Um, Brendan Gleeson as Frank, the the uh, uh, Hannah's father, is I think the most well known actor in this at the time. That's so crazy. Yeah, Christopher <laughs> Eccleston had been in stuff, but yeah. he was not as widely. He, he known. hadn't been a doctor yet. No, he was. Yeah. He wouldn't have been. He. It was another seven years before he was the doctor. Well then, and that was I. I think that was probably the biggest, widest thing that he had done by that point. Is the, yeah. Uh, up, well, but that was his first like <laughs> worldwide. Uh, right, right. Exposure was the doctor. Yeah, uh, when he exposed he, himself to the world. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he whipped out that sonic screwdriver. Um, he yeah, but he. I think he had. There was another movie Danny Boyle did earlier that he was in. I can't remember what it's called. I saw it, but I don't remember it. Mm. Um. But Brendan Gleeson as as Frank is is just a great casting. Oh, he's so great. Yeah, he does. He's so that that role being the character who kind of like brings the levity and kind of like brings a little bit of hope into everything. Yeah, is he just plays it so well? Yeah, it it is a perfect casting. Yeah, yeah, because because he's he's very much the character who's not. Who understands how hopeless things are, yeah. but is not without hope. Like I don't think Jim 
really has hope because I don't think Jim knows what the hell's going on for most of the movie. Right, right. He's he's still kind of getting his sea legs. Yeah. Like he he's he's just found out his parents. He's found out the world has gone to shit. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's actually to derail a little bit. Something I really like about this movie is that you don't know what the rest of the world is like. Right. Yeah. They don't even know what the rest of the world and is like. That's yeah. that's one of my favorite things is that like we don't go into this big huge like. Now let's see the Eiffel Tower falling down. And now let's see, like, you know, Tokyo on fire and, like, you know, infected people climbing the Empire State Building. Like, it it doesn't give you, like, a montage like that. It's just sort of, like, we don't know. Like, they said there were signs, there were were potential infections in Paris and New York. And after that, everything went silent. We have no idea. I mean, honestly... Probably one of the more realistic aspects of the movie is that when they're like, yeah. we don't know what's going on. We think it's in New York now. Yeah. Because, I mean, that reminded me of the opening days of the, the COVID pandemic where people oh, are yeah. like, we think people are coming from China, but it's also in England now. Right. There's a huge outbreak in Italy and we don't know why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's really well done. And I think it leads to, um, again, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, yeah, but. Fine. Um, there's a great, I, I really like how this moment is done when, um, Jim is, is imprisoned with the sergeant at the, at the mansion. Sure. Yep. And the sergeant, the Scotsman, um, you kind of like, Jim's been hit in the head and you're kind of fading back into his, like, he's mm-hmm. kind of coming back into full consciousness and you sort of hear the, the sergeant, like, monologuing or or saying stuff and it only kind of gradually comes into focus and like you eventually realize he's saying things like you know and what would you do with it with like one sick island you just quarantine right the whole rest of the world is still out there they're going on like normal and we're in here like killing each other that's such a great piece of exposition because you don't even hear half of it and it's exposition (laughs) that's coming in like the last fifth of the movie yeah and it's a guy chained to a radiator who's just yelling it. So right, exactly. He has no more no more knowledge than anybody else. Yeah. It's not like he has like I received a message from the outside. He's not doing any of that. He's yeah. just like this is an, the other option that somebody might believe. Like because they don't know because yeah. it's so open ended. It's one of those things where it's a character who's he's a great character. He's kind of crazy. Like they. they I, they set him up as the one everybody else thinks is crazy, even though what he's yes. saying is kind of practical. Yeah. And so yeah, when, even though he ends up being like the one decent. Right. Yeah. And so when they have him chi- chained to this radiator or whatever, and you're kind of coming out of conscious out of unconsciousness and you hear him just shouting stuff, there's a certain point where you, you can't hear a lot of it very well, but then at the end you kind of go, wait a minute, that sounds actually kind of plausible. That makes sense. Right. Right. Like, you're like, wait a minute, should I rewind that and like. Yeah. re-listen to that more closely like i put i had the subtitles on because i always do mm-hmm. um so that helped a little bit being like oh okay he's like monologuing about the insanity of what these people are doing and the potential state of the world beyond yeah like the british isles it is it is a great it is a great wrinkle to the uh to the zombie quote-unquote zombie kind of story yeah to do this to have this idea that they've quarantined the island and uh to to uh, to keep everything at bay because I I have thought about that from time to time where it's like well I guess it depends on what your method of of uh, of transmission is like traditionally Night of the Living Dead it's happening everywhere 
Like yeah. It's, it's, it's a space-born thing. It's like a simultaneous event. Yeah. yeah. So it's just the dead are coming back to life. It's not... Yep. Didn't start anywhere. Yeah. So that you obviously can't... Yeah. It defend doesn't, it doesn't matter. Really. It's just going to happen. <laughs> but this one, one of the, the interesting things about grounding it in quote-unquote reality is you have these other options of how to deal with things like quarantining or... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things, the changes that I do really like is that they actually... They even the playing field um, where they've made the zombies harder because they run. Yeah. But they've made them easier to kill. Yes, because so they're it, still physically, they're still just humans. Right. They're not super strong. Yeah. So it evens out. So it's not like they run and you have to shoot them in the head, which, right. come on, that's like just too hard. Dodging around. <laughs> yeah. They do. That's how it is in Dawn of the Dead. And they and it's 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 fine. But it's it's yeah. uh, I do like that. It's kind of like they evened out the uh, the the power sliders there where it's like, well, yeah. if they run faster, they're easier to kill. You know, right. <laughs> if, if they walk slow, they're really hard to yeah, kill. The inverse relationship is yeah. sort of dialed in there. But uh, but yeah, Frank Frank is a great character who is like I don't think I at the time I was as story savvy as I am now. Mm. Otherwise, I think from minute one you're like, oh, this guy's gonna die. <laughs> and I I don't know. I feel like you know someone's gonna yeah, die. Yeah, you kind of forget. Yeah, like because there's there's I think they those four characters once they get together, kind of bond so believably so quickly yeah that you don't really have nobody really stands out as someone who could die or, or who might not make it no one feels expendable right yeah. yeah and i remember very clearly i can't remember which time i saw it in the theater but when he gets that droplet in the eye oh man like all the air in the theater just went <sighs> yeah everybody goes silent yeah because it's yeah. that's devastating that's one of that's a fantastic well, way to get to take him out yeah because they, they well he's such a lovable character and they do this great thing where he is so much older than everyone mm-hmm. like you you hear i think you hear at some point that jim is like what is jim like 24 or something sure uh, like he's 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 young enough that he's still like living with his parents right, essentially. Right, yeah. Um. He's a bike courier. Um. Hannah looks like she's maybe sixteen. Yeah, somewhere in there. Maybe a little. Yeah, maybe a little younger. But yeah, 16-ish. yeah. Uh, 14, 15, 14, 15, 16. 15, 16. I I I think any of those would be believable. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, Frank's clearly a dude who's like firmly in his forties. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's the scene where they they have left the city. And they're in the countryside and they camp outside for the night. And Jim has a nightmare. And Frank kind of hears him having the nightmare and just kind of comes over and like touches him on the shoulder and is like, hey, it's okay. You're just having a bad dream. Mm-hmm. And Jim and like half, you know, mostly still asleep rolls over and he says, oh, thanks, dad. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. this moment that really like the interactions between the characters emphasize it. But that makes it really explicit that he's sort of become all of their dad like right, especially right. jim's like, obviously his own daughter but great like, parenting yeah seriously all the parents in this are good parents yep. like um but yeah it, it, it just makes it all the more poignant and sad when he gets infected i do want to ask though do you think it's fair to have one little drop of blood in his eye infect him where Jim gets like, <laughs> like a zombie fucking yeah. on his face, yeah, and like there's clearly blood on his face, and they're like, "Did you get any in your mouth? 
did he cut you did you and it's like, yeah they they in that scene i was thinking about that when i was watching it this time and i yeah. feel like they went out of their way to make sure that it, he doesn't look like Ash from Evil Dead where he's just yeah. blood running yeah. down his face. Right. Where it's like... Right, there's like a couple lines on his Yeah, cheek. it's yeah. feasible that sure. he gets out of that situation without getting any blood in an orifice. Yeah. And I even even so, I think the, uh, the cleverness and the just straight up bad luck of how Frank gets it yeah. is good enough of a, of a story beat that it's like, let's, yeah, this, this works pretty well. Yeah, and it's also like, in my opinion, fairly realistic, especially. Yeah, oh, that's how I would go, 100%. Yeah, I yeah. mean, well, especially since, you know, in the time of COVID, all we hear about is airborne droplets from people's yeah. nose and mouth and like how they carry on, you know, airflow patterns and whatever. Yeah, oh, I, I 100%, if I was in this situation or any zombie situation, would end up like, scraping my arm on something and getting infected that way just be like <laughs> mwah, mwah, mwah. i think i would just get chomped on yeah i just I think i, I would think not I would be able that. to outrun anybody yeah i don't yeah. think i would survive very long in either of those situations <laughs> um so at that point that's when uh christopher eccleston and the army show up moving into the day yes. of the dead portion of the movie uh how do you feel about this last section because we were watching this with meredith yeah. Who had never seen it before. Yeah, which blew my mind. Yeah, I I, I, I thought this was uh, uh, requisite viewing for anyone in our relative age bracket at the time, but I guess not. Yeah. Not in Chicago, I guess. <laughs> um, and she mentioned that she felt like it, it turned into a much different movie in the last, last third or so. How did you feel about it? You know, she's definitely got a point. It It, it does feel tonally really different but i think it makes sense because not only are they are they trying to get to this this military group as a goal that we've known about this whole time Mm -hmm. but i do think frank's death changes them and i think it changes the tone and probably changes their levels of optimism and hope like him him and he lost, and you know, Frank loses hope sure. right before he sure. gets infected and has to be killed. Um, which, by the way, I'm actually really glad they don't make Jim kill him. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you know the the military guys show up in time to do the shooting. Well, they they make a sort of a big deal. Well, not a big deal, but they yeah. put a point on how many people Jim has killed up to that point because he says. Because that yeah. Christopher Eccleston asks him, like, and, "Who have you killed?" Yeah, and it was I think he had only killed the one boy. I think, right? Yeah, and and you know, and not to jump backwards, I do still want to address your question, but I kind of was talking to Greg when we watched this, and mm-hmm. I said, in the moment where Jim goes into that like gas station convenience store or whatever, and that little boy comes, the infected boy comes and attacks him, and he kills him with a baseball bat. I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, it's it just seems weird. Like, they just went to this grocery store. They clearly have all the supplies they need. Seems weird that they'd have him go in there. Because mm-hmm. um, even, like, Selena or somebody is like, don't, what are you doing? Don't waste your time. And he kind of just waves them off and goes in. And I was like, I, I kind of, like, was trying to think about, like, why was that sequence included? Yeah. And I think it, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think it's to show that Jim is capable of violence. Yeah, I you know? I read it in that he's going there specifically to kill someone. 
Really? Yeah. Like not like it's not like he had it out for that kid and he was, I mean like I I I felt like he goes in there with the intention of I okay, if there's someone in here, I'm going to kill him. Because the way that he he goes in there and he looks around and I I let me back up a second. Sure. I don't think he goes in there specifically thinking Oh, I hope there's oh someone boy, in there here to I kill. go killing again. Yeah, I, I don't think he's like, I hope there's someone in there to kill so I can finally kill someone. I think he's just walking around and he goes in there yeah. to check it out and he's looking around at all the dead bodies and he gets really angry because the way that he says hello is so different than the way he said hello up to that point because he's usually yelling it, yeah. frantically trying to, to find someone and he says it so quietly and so like, kind of like boiling that hmm. my my reading was always like he he he's hoping someone is in there so he can kind of take out his anger on this of the, about the situation on someone who's in. I mean that could have gone very poorly for him uh, if yeah. there was you know <laughs> two kids right maybe like three kids two or three full grown adults or yeah, yeah yeah but I yeah I I always got the the impression that it was more like a Jim is. I, I don't think I'm not saying you're wrong because yeah. I do think it is showing that he's capable of violence. Yeah. But I always kind of read it as like a he's blowing off some steam a bit about the situation. Interesting because I I sort of like looked at it as that like you know when you've been on a road trip with people mm-hmm. and you've been like with the same group of people for several days and you're maybe just like I just need a fucking minute mm-hmm. you know like I just, right, right. I just need to go be alone for a minute like not to do anything not to you know for any specific reason but just to like, get get some space right I read it as him kind of having a moment like that and then like also kind of trying to force himself to confront what the world is mm-hmm. like now like more of him kind of getting acclimated Sure. To to, yeah. his, to the environment yeah. and and sort of maybe maybe a level of like disbelief too of like maybe not quite convinced that everywhere is going to be totally fucked. So he's yeah. like, all right, you know, I'm going to go in here and I'm just like, need a second alone. And who knows? Maybe we'll find somebody. We'll find something good. Yeah. I didn't read it as like a specific like I'm going to march in here and hit things with my bat. Yeah, I. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not again. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's right. entirely yeah. plausible because the tone around the moment. I think the thing we're both picking up on is that the tone around that moment yeah. is is different than what we had been getting with the with the group of four people up until that point. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 How easy do you think it is to get a baseball bat in England? <laughs> I was just I was thinking that when we were watching it last night. I was like, He's carrying a baseball bat. Is that like something readily available in England? I mean, would you say it's something readily available in Somerville? In let's Boston? put it, let's put it you this way: I mean? I, like, if I would, I would find it easier to get a baseball bat than it would to get a cricket bat in Somerville. Sure, I would think the inverse in England, unless I, I could be completely ignorant of how much baseball is being played in in England. I don't know. Maybe Frank's a fan. It's possible. Maybe Hannah plays softball. Jose Canseco bat. There you go. Hope he didn't pay money for that. <laughs> but anyway, um, getting to that that last portion of the movie, mm-hmm. the like kind of third act where they've hooked up with the the battalion. I don't. I don't. They're not a battalion. I don't even know what to call them. It's like nine dudes yeah. with guns. Yeah. Um, and and it does feel tonally different 
I think not only because there's a level of of sort of optimism and hope that's been lost mm-hmm. for the characters in that moment, but because it's when the movie shifts from making the infected the primary antagonists to making other humans the primary right. antagonists. Right. And you go from these sort of sprawling, like we're walking through all of London and it's suburbs yeah or we're driving through this entire huge countryside to a much more it's still a a very large country manner but it's still a much more claustrophobic and enclosed setting of the house yeah yeah it's it's an old building and there's lots of just stuff in it so yeah. it's, it feels yeah, fancy rich and british just a people lot, stuff just a lot of boxes too like there's one yeah. scene I, where i think it's he's sitting in front of a bunch of VCR boxes or something. It's I don't know what what they're storing in there, but yeah, well, it seems like maybe maybe the this group of goons was just you know maybe Christopher Eccleston's like just sending them out to nearby towns to sort of like gather anything you think you might want. Yeah, yeah. like let's start stockpiling shit now that we might need later or you might want later. Like, yeah, nothing. Or else to do. I mean, we do find out that they have a sizable pot sizable pile of dead people out in the back yeah that maybe they have found in a similar fashion to the way they found because uh, they seem to be executed yeah um, that it is an interesting question because i feel like the first couple times i watched this movie when you see that pile of corpses i kind of i actually this still might be true um because when the zombies attack the house after the attack um the commander tells um, the sergeant, I think it's like Farrell or something, oh, um, sure. go clean the bodies off the lawn. Sure, sure. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. That they might just be dumping them yeah. there. Yeah, I guess it could go either way. But honestly, like, yeah, this this time around, I had the same thought that you did. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, there's been other survivors who've come to try to find the answer to infection, as yes. they say, and got killed. You know, what's interesting to me about this, too, um, especially if you look at this in the larger history past and future after this of the zombie genre mm-hmm. what makes this cuz i mean that's what this is in the zombie genre yeah. you know. um what makes this unique is that not just the fact that it takes place in england mm-hmm. which is a very specific location for it to take place cuz usually it's just like quote unquote america or <laughs> right. or quote unquote the world yeah um or quote-unquote Pittsburgh. Uh, but in having it take place in England, one thing you don't see until the last 40 minutes or so of this movie is a gun. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you've got fast-moving zombies and no guns, that amps the scariness up as well. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Because it's like... Traditionally, if you're in a zombie situation, everybody's got at least one gun. Right, or they or part of the part of the plot is we gotta go get some guns. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're gonna go over to the police station that's been abandoned and we're gonna get some guns. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because it does make it a lot it, it makes it a lot scarier than if they were armed with projectile weapons. Yeah. And it does add a different tenor to the ending, too, because you haven't just spent an hour or so watching people firing guns and heads exploding and stuff. Right. That's the other thing that's really unique about this is that also along with guns, one of the hallmarks of most zombie things are 
like gore set pieces. Yes. And very over the top prosthetics and stuff. Yeah. You don't get that in this movie. Yeah, I was going to say like when I when I was like thinking about what we were going to talk about for this episode, I was like, well, I mean, it's a zombie movie. I, I guess we should think about like, are there any... No, there aren't any like zombie kills. Not you really. know, there's there's no like people get puked on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Everybody's taking some Valium all the time. Um yeah. yeah, there's there's no there's no creative creative kills where it's like I killed this zombie with a plunger. Like right, there, there's right. none of that sort of stereotypical. Yeah. You don't get the as 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 Romero-esque and Day of the Dead-esque as this this movie is, especially at the end, you don't get any of those, okay, we're going to pull a guy apart right, in f- full frame in camera. Right, right. Like the even the when, zombie head is going to keep trying to bite you even when it's decapitated. Yeah, when like, Christopher Eccleston gets killed at the end, you don't see yeah. him. You know, he gets jumped in, in or they... Do they knock him out of the car? Either way, he gets jumped. He gets dragged. He gets dragged out of the car. Yeah, you don't see and, him get torn apart or anything. Right, but. right. Yeah. The other thing about this this end, like once they once they get involved with these this these military guys, the soldiers, it's interesting because I think there's something like. You know, like the shitty boys you knew in high school, like the shitty teenage boys. The, the group, the shitty boys. No, you know what I mean. No, you know what I mean. Like those, those five guys that lived downstairs from me, the shitty boys. <laughs> no, but you you know what I'm saying though. Like like the the, the was dudes Greg, was Greg part of the shitty boys? No, no that's good. No, he he's part of your group of friends. Were you guys the shitty boys? I mean, unofficially. No, yeah, no, probably. we weren't. <laughs> But you know, like the, like those dudes you know in high school sure, yeah. in college who just kind of suck. Yes, like they're immature and they're mean about it, and they are, they're they're just they just suck. They're yeah. mean to each other. Like they're like that's what these soldiers feel like. They feel like like cruel, nasty, like children. Really, yeah, yeah. They're like doing donuts with the cab in the in the front yard, right, and right. like it, it, they have they do have a weird kind of Lord of the Flies aspect to them. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just sort of like a group of kids who've gone feral, except for the commander. Yeah, he feels like the only adult in the situation, and there's something very weird about him. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about him as a character because I. I really like him as a character. Oh, I think he's a fantastic character. Yeah, because I think he is about as ambiguous as you can make a character like that without going either way into uh, being evil or being, you know, a good guy. He is very much riding the line where he thinks what he's doing is the right thing to do. He still thinks that his job Mm -hmm. is to provide for his men and so that's what he's and provide to help move the world forward and the logic that he's using is if we're gonna get through this we have to breed it out basically yeah and there's no women around here and you know these guys are getting restless i promised them women we have to start moving on we need some ladies up in here right he pretty much says something like what do nine men do at the end of the world right yeah Um, donuts apparently donuts in a taxi cab i'll be honest what they're doing, what I assume nine guys would do at the end of the world is donuts and just oh, yeah. grab ass with each other with guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
shooting stuff, waiting to die. But there's a really weird... One of my main problems, like one of my only problems with this movie is that it's only 28 days later. Sure, yeah. It's a pretty steep decline. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. things Things have gone downhill precipitously, like really, really fast. Um... And and so like the sort of like borderline madness that they're all all the soldiers are sort of playing around in. Yeah. I don't know if it's quite earned when it's only been 28 days. I mean, I'm sure it's been 28 days of like absolute horror, yeah, but Yeah. How long have they been there alone, you know? Exactly. Cuz he says he says that they had been set up at that checkpoint. Right. But then they left. And they're kind of out in the countryside, so Yeah. Like, maybe they're getting a good amount of zombies, but it's not like they were, you know, fighting their way out of... Right. They drive like there s- pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it just, it seems a little iffy to me. So then part of me wonders, like, what like what, what else could maybe explain some of this mm-hmm. degeneration and how quick it happened? And part of it might be some of the personalities in that group. Sure. Like, there's a couple of those dudes who were, like, having a little too much fun, like, terrorizing Hannah and Selena. Like, it's beyond just, like, it's been a month since I saw a woman, you know? Like, if it only takes you one month without women to to become essentially a rapist, then there was something rotten inside of you way before the zombie apocalypse began. Right. I don't want to excuse that behavior. Sure. But you're going to. <laughs> but I'm going <good>. to. <laughs> Buckle up. Boys will be boys. <laughs> Let me put on my Texas hat. <laughs> oh, um, I I think that that stuff you could argue could be amplified by the, the uh, severity of what's happening. Like if you know yeah. that there's there's it's over. Yeah. I think that stuff degrades a lot quicker you know what i mean sure yeah yeah no 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 i i i i think that's probably part of it yeah and that's that makes it more believable but also with with um christopher christopher eccleston's character there's a weird so there's a couple things about him that strike me and i'm going to talk about them but I'm not really sure what I mean by it all. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my TED talk. I know, seriously. <laughs> Buckle up, buckaroos. Um, he's very concerned with appearances. Sure, okay. Like, he makes them clean the zombie bodies off the lawn, mm-hmm. even in the middle of the night mm-hmm. after the the attack has happened. Uh, before dinner, he goes and changes into his dress uniform. Yep. For dinner, and then when the attack happens during dinner, he goes and puts his like proper fo- like battle fatigues back on. Oh, I never noticed that. Okay, sure. yeah. So it's like, all right, you're getting attacked by zombies, and you paused for a wardrobe change. Yeah, and he's very physically put together in the in a way the others are not. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's still got the high and tight haircut, like very very clean. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, a couple of the guys, they've got kind of crazy hair going on or they only wear like wear a hat and they won't take it off. Or the one dude is like patchy, like he's like shaved his head really right, poorly. Right, and he's right. kind of like it, for the others, there's like signs of like the mental degeneration has physical signs. Like they're out of uniform slightly or one of them's wearing a frilly pink apron and like the other guys razz him because he's the cook. Mm-hmm. Um 
but yeah, there's this there's this weird preoccupation with him with appearances. And then he's completely disinterested in Selena and Hannah. Yeah, okay. He pays really no attention to them. But he's very interested in Jim. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And then when all hell has broken loose, most of the guys are dead, the thing he says to Jim at the end when, when he when he shoots Jim is he says, you killed my boys. Mm-hmm. So there's just like I don't know like I, I think he can be read kind of as a as a queer character. Interesting. Okay. Like there's just something about him that's it's not only I think his rank sets him apart from the guys under his command, mm-hmm. but like personality wise, it's just like there's there's different priorities there, and yeah. I don't know if they can all be explained by the fact that he's in charge. Could you read him as sort of the? anti-father figure to frank yeah absolutely yeah yeah where he's sort of like bad dad right this where it's like he's going to to keep them happy because they're all he has he's gonna give them whatever they want even if it's the wrong thing to do morally yeah like i and also i think i think you can you can run a, a a line between them to separate how frank has figured out how to Remain a good father, yeah. Adapting to the world that has changed, and Christopher Eccleston is very much holding on to what has come and is not adapting. Right, he kind of wants to figure out a way to push things back to the way they were. That's a really interesting point because he does have this sort of speech to Jim where they're talking about the um the former soldier who's now infected that they're keeping chained up in the in the garden mm-hmm. and he says oh he's taught me he'll never bake bread he'll never raise livestock he'll right. never grow crops right right um so he's clearly looking to reestablish and emulate like s- society as it was yeah and yeah. he's he's clinging on to uh, the structure of the military as yeah you know, that's why he stays you know uh, wears the dress to dinner that's why he keeps the haircut and stuff so yeah, yeah I think I think it's he's a, he's just a he's a really great character that they don't you don't get any kind of like really bloviating speeches from yeah I like, was just gonna say he he doesn't like stand with like a, a snifter of brandy swirling it being right, like would yeah. you like to know what my real plan is jim like yeah. there's no like big evil villain speech yeah yeah i think he's really great i, yeah. re- I really like I, I think the i i i really like the last third of this movie <clears throat> because it is missing that element that you we don't really get up to that point which is kind of the hallmark of the of the good zombie the quality zombie film yeah which is the monsters being the the people you're with, not the monsters yeah. that are outside, because yeah. that's that's generally where the the genre started. Is hell is other people? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you don't really get any of that because they're they're just kind of it, this is a really kind of simple story. It's just kind mm-hmm. of a we need to get from point A to point B, but the journey is really well done. Yep. And uh, you know, th- there's there's a the element of story that I've been I've been kind of focusing on lately when I've been looking at stuff and reading stuff is specifically in like um, 
movies because they, they break it down structurally a lot and it always happens around the same place in most movies yeah. is this idea that around the halfway part halfway point or if, if you're watching a movie if it's an hour and a half movie it usually happens around 50 minutes is you get to this point where you get the thing you're after but it's not the way you think it, it turns out to right. be different than the way you, it's basically kind of a monkey's paw situation yes and it's always so interesting and satisfying no matter how many times I see it coming where it's like, okay, this is the point where they find the thing they're looking for, but it turns out to be different than what they thought it was going to be. It's such a it's yeah. such a smart and um, useful turn in stories. Yeah, and I think this movie makes really really great use of it. I think that's a great point, and I really like that as well. And it makes me think in contrast about a lot of the. Um, especially a lot of the early phase Marvel movies where there was sort of the MacGuffin. Yep. You know, we're we're after the Tesseract. We're after the whichever Infinity Stone. We're after like the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not yet. Fantastic Four hasn't shown up yet, but they'll get there. Sure. Um, But you you know what I mean? Like there there was always like the thing. We're trying to get the thing. Right. And then at the end of the movie, they finally get the thing or the Mm -hmm. thing is destroyed or the thing disappears. Like whatever. It's so much more interesting to have it be we reach the goal and the goal's not what it seemed. Right, yeah. And then have that narrative turn and watch the characters have to adapt and find a new, like, if if they got to the point where they needed to, or they thought they needed to get to, and that turned out to not be the end point, then what? Yeah. And yeah. the figuring out the then what is always more interesting to me. Yeah, it's such... It's such a fascinating like little bit that I don't think really gets I don't know if it if you if you realize it's happening unless you're looking for I don't want to yeah. I don't want to say that people are dumb or whatever but I'm not saying <laughs> trying to say that but Clay's calling you all dumb. Yeah, you're all idiots. <laughs> but it's like it, it's it's one of those things where you when you apply it to certain stories or movies you like you see how deftly it's used and how interesting yeah. it makes things like in the Dark Knight what happens around the halfway point of the Dark Knight? They get the thing they're after. They catch the Joker. Yep. Does not turn out to be the thing they think it is when they catch the Joker. Right. What happens in Dirty Harry around the halfway <laughs> point? He catches the bad guy, but doesn't turn out to go the way that he thinks it's going to go. It, you can apply it to like any good movie or story that you know. Yeah. Usually this happens. Right, because it adds a layer of complexity. Right. And I and it and it gives your characters an unexpected new situation to have to react to. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get to see all of the things that they've learned or all the things that they've gone to kind of come to fruition through it. So like in in 28 Days Later, the er the, the example for this movie is, is Jim, where it's like he woke up in this world completely unprepared for it. Yeah. Like he, he woke up just like thinking everything was going to be normal. And then this this goal kind of like f- lucking into finding Selena and Frank and Hannah and then lucking into having this goal. It was sort of like, he thought this, all right, it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I woke up and everything's horrible, but give me like a week. I'm right. going to get to the military and like my parents are dead and that's sad, but they didn't suffer. And then it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to find the cure. It's going to mm-hmm. be great. And then it, it's not. And he has to not only react to that, but like, 
take action yeah. to save himself and to save Hannah and Selena. It's really the only time in the movie that he takes action. Yes. Is yeah. in that last section of the movie. But it feels, to me, it feels earned. Yeah, like, oh, definitely, I, yeah. Yeah, like I kind of like, like I hadn't seen this in a while so it was kind of like is his sort of like Rambo first blood turn like is it earned like does it feel believable and the more I thought about it the more I was like yeah it does because I I do feel like he he spends the whole movie kind of like gradually acclimating into this world and then this kind of final act is him sort of proving himself and, yeah. and sort of accepting the reality of what's going on around him and, yeah, definitely. and taking steps. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the ending? And it's a happy ending more or less, which, yeah. which uh, can be divisive when it comes to movies like this. Apparently several endings were filmed, Oh, including a few in which Jim is taken to a hospital where he succumbs to his gunshot wound. I think there's actually one of those on the DVD. Huh? Um, despite efforts by Selena to revive him, Selena and Hannah subsequently leave the hospital together, an open ending that was meant to suggest that they would make it. However, a test audience interpreted this as a sign of certain death for them, so the makers filmed a special epilogue with a more uplifting ending. Um, so it's interesting because on the one hand, I do think it's a little unrealistic that he got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they save him. They fix him. Yeah, yeah. I they mean, make they make reference at the beginning that Selena might be a pharmacist. Yeah, she says she qualified as a chemist. Yeah, but I don't know if she's uh, qualified to be a surgeon. Yeah, yeah. So it's tough because on the one hand, I kind of want to be like, well, realistically speaking, he definitely should have died, or like at least gotten sepsis and died. Um, but on the other hand, like tonally and thematically yeah. i actually like it more that he doesn't mm-hmm. like i i i embrace the more positive ending of this movie i think yeah. it it's because i kind of think that this movie is not saying like everyone is just a rage monster and horrible and humanity right. should yeah. end like i think i think it's sort of like the the thematic thing is like that hope and and love and 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 all of those good things are the antidote to this rage virus. Yeah. And so I think by ending it on the uplifting note, it's driving that home. You know that we don't have to be road rage or hospital rage people all the time. Yeah, I think. So if you look at Night of the Living Dead, mm. Night of the Living Dead has a, a very famously downer ending. Yes. And. That movie is about people being horrible to each other. Yes. There is not really ever a chance of of hope or looking on the bright side of the world in that movie. Yeah. So in that in that movie, it makes sense to me to end it the way that they do. Yeah. Like it works thematically. Yeah. In this movie, the people are awful to each other aspect is not the crux of the film. It's yeah. it, it becomes the, the, the basis of the end. But like so much of the movie before this is about how positive and beautiful things still are, even though everything around them has gone to shit. It right, doesn't yeah. it doesn't might not feel that way on the surface, but like there's one shot in this movie where uh the car is driving like at the top of the screen. Then yeah. the rest of the screen is like this, what now looks like a bad Photoshop filter <laughs> of this beautiful bed of flowers. 
And yeah. there's that whole sequence when they're, they pull off to have the picnic where Frank is w- watching the horses. Yes. There's a lot of hope and beauty in this movie that seems like that is the theme. Yes. More so than doesn't it suck that people are terrible and we're all going to die eventually. Right. I mean, even like the fact that the first people that Jim, I mean, the first day Jim is awake, he meets Mark and Selena. Yeah. And right away they risk their own lives to save him. Right. Right. Like immediately they don't know him. They don't, it probably isn't even clear in the moment whether or not he's infected. Like they risk their lives to save him right away. And then when Jim and Selena meet Hannah and, and Frank, like Frank rescues them and then immediately lets them into his home with his young daughter, like with right. his, his young teenage daughter. Yeah. Like he trusts them kind of implicitly right away. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that the, the, message of the movie is really about the ability to overcome yeah 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 i think so too um the soundtrack to this movie uh is great i think it was one that um many many people when i was in college listened to incessantly yeah Uh, i know your husband said that half the bands that he listened that he (laughs) likes he got he found through danny boyle movies yeah that's that's probably pretty true yes (laughs) i do having known your husband for a long time i can say that yes one of the the heavy rotations in his car cd player was the train spotting soundtrack yep yep that was a big one um but yeah i think overall this is a it's a it's a really great movie. I think it holds up really well. Like I said, I mm. was I was worried. I'm not worried, but I was interested to see how it holds up. Yeah. And I do think I honestly think that the generally positive theme mm-hmm. is what makes it hold up so well. Because if this was just a downer, yeah, I don't think it would have the staying power. I because agree. like yeah. if we compare this to like Wreck, which Neither of us liked the, oh, the yeah, Spanish yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I thought Wreck with like a W-R-E-C-K and I was like, like a car No, Wreck, the, the yes. story about where the dance troupe has to save the, <laughs> the center from... Um, but it's like Wreck is very much like a these people are fucked kind of story. Yes. And I don't think that has the staying power for me. I mean, on top of the fact that it's got kind of a dated gimmick running it. Not that it's terrible, but it's just like it doesn't... There's not a lot bringing me back to Wreck. Yeah, I don't really need to watch that again. Yeah, whereas this, I feel like it kind of has the staying power because it's it. There's a lot going on thematically that's that's more uh, timeless, I guess. Yeah, and not not to keep going on. I know we're probably a little long at this point. <laughs> um, but also the characters are likable. Yes, and like everybody in Wreck was awful. Yeah, well, and, and everybody in, in a, like, you know, we've been doing yes, yeah. for, for the Patreon uh, edition of, of the podcast, we've been doing the Friday the 13th movies, and a lot of those feature some really, really unlikable characters that when they die, you're just sort of like, well, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think the fact that the four main characters of this movie are so charismatic and they have such believable relationships with each other that are good and like wholesome and positive it makes them you, you want them to have the happy ending yeah. you, you want you want to imagine what their futures might might be like yeah i think everything that makes this movie work for me is is everything that made the walking dead not work for me when i first yeah that's I watched, fair i watched the first few episodes of that it opens with rick shooting a kid 
like a, a child zombie like blowing her head off and i was like yeah. okay all right they're clearly making a statement about what this show is going to be like that's a good point and then every friggin' episode of that show is people pulling guns on each other and yelling yes and it's like <laughs> yes that whole show is man's inhumanity to man yeah like that, and it's a lot it of it's a lot of crouching well, it's a lot of crouching and talking, and and uh, you put the gun down. No, you put the gun down. Yeah, uh, Sh- Shane walks up towards camera and crouches down, and then talks a bit about why you can't you can't save her, Rick. And uh, then somebody else tells a story about what their dad was like when they were kids, and it's like, <laughs> blow my own brains out. Um, yeah, I think I think it I think it works really well. I think it holds up, and it's yeah. Even though it's not technically a zombie movie, I think it is one of the better zombie movies to to have ever been made. I think. Agree, and yeah. it is gen like the scary moments are genuinely scary. Like they're not cheap jump scares. Yeah, they're, they're like actually really like oh oh shit oh my god okay. This is number one hundred seven on our list. Yeah, currently. Uh, what do you think about the placement? Higher, lower? Take it off. I mean, I would definitely keep it on the list. I think, like we were saying, you know, you can argue whether or not these are technically zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did revive that sure. genre sure. in pop culture. I, I do think as much as it's kind of like paying homage to some of the more classic movies, it, it is trying to do something new. Um, and yeah, I do think it's it's, you know zombie movies were not the same after this yeah it's um, it's really interesting though to to look back and think about it how this came out in 2002 it it definitely started a trend of zombie movies but yeah. zombies didn't really really hit mainstream until walking dead started and now it's like everybody's mom watches <laughs> watches a TV show with zombies in it that's more violent than the movies that got X ratings in 1978, you know. Yeah. It's 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 a really it's one of those things that is as as a fan of the genre mm-hmm. breaks my brain. Uh, not <laughs> not quite on the same level as when, you know, uh my girlfriend's 13-year-old uh cousin Anne started telling me facts about the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh. And I wanted to be like, "You don't understand." When I was your age... Do you know who you're talking to? No, it's not even that. It was just like, <laughs> the Infinity Gauntlet is such a deep cut Yeah. that if I had been a 13-year-old boy talking to a 13-year-old girl about the Infinity Gauntlet, yeah. I would have been wedgied so hard. You wouldn't have been talking to no, a 13-year-old definitely girl no. because she would have walked away. No, and I would have enough smarts to know yeah. you don't talk to girls about the Infinity she Gauntlet. does not care. Yeah, so to have... To have a young girl specifically telling me all these facts about the thing that is when I was growing up for me was like nerdier than nerdy. And it's just like casual pop culture. It's just, it breaks my brain a little bit. I think it's great. The times they are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Now I got to find stuff. Even I've told this story before. My first AOL instant messenger screen name was Mm. big hero six. Yes. Because it was the most obscure thing I could possibly think of from yep. Marvel Comics. And even that is a goddamn movie now. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> old man rant over. Anyway, I think this movie is great. I think it belongs on the list. I actually might put it in the top 100. I think so too. Yeah. I think this one might actually resolve a, to be knocked up a little bit. It's well done. It's, it's Knock it up. Knock hard. It. <laughs> That's Clay's motto. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, but this this movie, like the acting in it is amazing. Yeah. Like the actors are really, really good. 
even though the quality is like intentionally low quality, it's still beautiful. Like, yeah. It's still yeah. thoughtfully composed. Yeah. The music's great. The writing's good. Like there's yeah. there's a couple moments where it's a little bit like, all right. But like overall the writing is really great in this. So yeah. like Alex Garland is a very good writer. Yeah, and, and he's he's in my opinion gotten even better like oh, as time has passed. Yeah. No, like, X, so. Ex Machina is one of the best sci fi movies I've ever seen. So great. I need to rewatch that. Anyway, I think this definitely deserves a top hundred billing. Me too. I think so too. Yeah. Uh so we have hit our next wild card. Oh. Yes. Already? Jeez. Yes. I it snuck up on me as well. I, <laughs> I was very conflicted about what to do mm. because there's a movie I've been wanting to do for a very long time Uh-oh. called Dead and Buried. However, I do feel like I need to close the loop that I promised when we did American Werewolf in London. Oh. So next time we will be doing The Howling. Oh, nice. Okay. Which awesome. I'm excited about because you haven't seen The Howling, I right? haven't. And, and, and since we've talked about it, I've wanted to. So this is a perfect Very opportunity. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. And uh, join our Patreon where you can get a whole bunch of extra content from our parent show, The Penske File, as well as follow Amanda and I as we make our way through the Friday the 13th series. You should have said as we slash our way. As we slash our way. (laughs) As we hack our way. Now that it's Halloween season, we're (laughs) hacking our way through the Friday the 13th (laughs) series. This podcast, this episode goes so off the rails when last time was the one we were drinking tequila. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> Great question. Uh, but yeah, we're making our way through the Friday the 13th series, the movies, not Friday the 13th, the series. Yes. Um, and uh, September is Jason Goes to Hell, final Friday. October, which I'm Ooh. very excited about, is jason x which i don't think i've ever actually seen all the way through Uh, (laughs) a ringing endorsement yes (laughs) but if you if you want to if you want to uh support the show you can do it there if you want to follow our all of our extra content you can do it there as well thank you guys for listening thank you for joining me amanda thank you and we'll see you next time bye everyone